All right, let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you again for this gathering. We thank you for this opportunity to come and celebrate who you are. Father, right now I pray that we feast on your word. May it meet us where we are. When I pray for the spirit of vulnerability within each and every one of us. I pray that the distractions of the world, the distractions of whatever we have planned later on today, that for the next few minutes, God, those are not present or not consuming our thoughts. So, Father, I pray for transformation to take place. Pray these things, we ask these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to read it one more time. You're familiar with it. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort. If I haven't stressed that enough. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, how about the timing of that coming out of Thanksgiving this week? We get to talk about brotherly affection next week. A brotherly affection with love, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this week, church, we take the next step in adding to our faith in a journey of Christ-likeness, because that's what we're on. We, we, are, we are on this lifelong journey of becoming like Jesus. And so in this journey, the next thing that we are adding to our faith, we are adding godliness to the virtue that we've already talked about, to the knowledge, to the self-control, to the steadfastness. All of these in increasing measure. Like, like that's the thing. It's not like I checked the box of, okay, I, I gained a little knowledge, so I'm done. It's I'm gaining knowledge in increasing measure. I'm, I'm practicing steadfastness. I'm practicing self-control in increasing measure. And so today we talk about this word godliness. The American English definition of godliness is the quality of being devoutly religious. The problem with this definition for you and I, is it's that the sovereign God of the universe has invited us into not a religious journey, but a journey of relationship with one another centered on Him. Right? Like that's the problem with our definition that we read from our American English uh, dictionaries is that it's about being devoutly religious. And, and that has crept its way into the church, unfortunately. And so the definition does work for you and I on some levels. But if you understand God and you understand Jesus' time on earth, you know that it's so much more than a religion. It's so much more as a religion as the world sees religion. If you look at the how, you know I like to do this. You look at how 
Jesus did ministry, you understand a few things. Number one, you understand that he is completely worthy of all of our worship. Man, miracle after miracle after miracle after dying on the cross for our sins. He is worthy of our devotion. You look at how he lived his life. He is worthy of that. The second thing, you look at how he did ministry. He brought a bunch of nobodies into a day-to-day relationship with him. And church, this was the backbone of his mission. It was the living together in the day-to-day. That's the backbone of his mission on earth. And and so there's no doubt that Jesus is worthy of our praise. And and so it's it's easy to say that, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, Godliness is the quality of being devoutly religious. But there's all types of religions in our world where godliness can be practiced. Right? I mean, you think about it, some of the popular ones, Buddhism, right? Uh, Hinduism, Islam, all, all of those are religions, right? Those you've all heard of. How about these? There's, there's a couple that I want to share with you that I, that I researched this week. How about the universe people? Have you ever heard of the universe people? Do you know of anybody that is a universal person worshiper? Good for you. This is alien-inspired religion. It's out of the Czech Republic. It's a true thing. Uh, This group bases its beliefs on extraterrestrial communications with the founder, Ivo Binda, from 1997 onward. So if you were worshiping aliens in 1996, it don't count. you're You're out of luck. And so according to Binda, aliens have a fleet of ships orbiting the Earth at any given time led by a supreme being named Ashtar who watches the people of the earth. And they are ready to transport good and loyal followers to another dimension. That's a true religion. All right, here's another one. Any Star Wars fans in the room? Seriously, go ahead. I know y'all, now you know you're not going to to talk about you, so you're not going to, but seriously, who's Star Wars fans? Come on. We got some, okay? We got some. I just found out last week that my parents have never seen any of the Star Wars. I kind of thought that was kind of odd, but then I thought, well, I've never seen Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or any of those things, so I guess it does kind of run in, in the family. Uh, Jediism. It's true religion. Texas-based. There is a temple of the Jedi Order. In te- now, look, I'm not encouraging you guys to go and visit this place, right? As a matter of fact, stay away from it. Watch it on the big screen. That's all well and good, but stay away from it. But there is a temple of the order, and they've issued a code for believers called the 16 Teachings of the Jedi. And I would imagine that most of these teachings are probably pretty good teachings for humanity, right? It's probably the weirdest, you know, considering that it, you know, binds, you know, fictional values from a movie series as well as beliefs from, you know, like Asian religions like Buddhism stuff. But it is kind of followers. And, and there's several more. There, there are crazy religions out there. It, there is a religion dedicated to motorcycles. They literally have a shrine and people come and they bow down and they worship motorcycles. Right? I mean, yeah. All of these religions have something or someone who is a deity 
to a group of people. And they're worthy of devout worship. It's godliness. Godliness, though, as Peter is describing, means a little bit more. It's a true respect for the Lord and a genuine desire to obey the teachings of Jesus, to obey the teachings of a sovereign, supreme being, God, Yahweh. Godliness happens in one's life as a result of knowing God's will and obeying it. And let me tell you, I, I've got some stuff talking about God's will. You're just not going to get today. Right? But I'm telling you right now, like that's godliness. Godliness happens in my life when I, I know God's will and I obey it. So go back to our scripture reading this morning, the one I read earlier, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So we're sitting here talking about godliness. Peter tells us that we are to add to our faith godliness in an increasing measure. But before he even says that, he gets to this point and he says, Oh, by the way, God has given to us all the things needed to pertain to life and godliness. How about that? There's a lot of repetition. Anytime there's repetition in Scripture, you need to pay attention to it. Okay? Just within a matter of words, Peter has mentioned godliness twice. And he leads in with, if you are a follower in him, he has given to you all the things needed to pertain to life and godliness. He's already given to us, church. God has already given us what we need to practice godliness through the knowledge of him. So let's go eat. Amen, right? Let's, I mean, let's go. Let we, if God's given it to us, why are we talking? If, if God's given us this, I don't need you, Michael, to give me a sermon. And I even thought this myself. Well, God, if you've given this to us already, why do I need to preach a sermon? Let, let's spend some time singing some psalms, take communion, pray, and we'll get on to eating a meal. Why do we need a sermon on godliness if God's already given it? Everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Have you ever been in a situation where you had access to all the resources needed to do a task, but you weren't utilizing all of them? I got thinking about a mission trip in Mexico one time. We were sitting there doing, we're making bricks, we're, we're doing this thing, and we're kind of a, a bunch of Americans following a recipe that was given to us, okay? Most of the, most of the recipe for making the bricks was, was in Spanish, and so we're kind of translating some stuff ourselves, and this was long before Google Translate, all right? Th th this was just experience, and I think that's what this word means, and I think that's what this word means, and, and the, <laughs> come, to, come to find out what we missed were that some of the tools were in a different location, and we were supposed to go get those tools, and so we're trying to make bricks, without all the tools, right? And it was just, it was miserable. It didn't, it, it didn't work. You, you, you think about this, and we're in just a few short minutes, I promise you, in a few short minutes, we're going to go eat a meal. We're going to go meet a, eat a meal of thanksgiving together, and it's going to be glorious. Hallelujah, I can't wait. 
But when you walk through the line, and we got the napkins out there, and we got the plates, and we've got knives, and we've got spoons. And you go through and you get these utensils and you fix your plate and you grab your tea or whatever and you go and you sit down. Man, with that combination of tools, right, you can get through the meal. You, you could eat the meal with a spoon and a knife. Now, you have to cut your ham into really small pieces and you have to cut your turkey with a knife in really small pieces and then you'd have to scoop it up with a spoon. And y'all know we got these little cheap these little, these little cheap church spoons. I mean, they're like tiny, tiny spoons. They're not even a, they're not even a teaspoon. They're definitely not a tablespoon. They're more like a coffee spoon. And like, if you scoop green beans up, you're getting odd green bean on the on the spoon, right? I mean, y'all know what we're talking about here. And so, could you get through the meal with a spoon and a knife? Absolutely. Well, bring on the fork. I mean, we gotta have the fork. The fork is the utensil that helps us to be efficient when it comes to getting through the meal and enjoying it all the more. If the resources are available to us and we don't use them, it, it causes conflict. It adds burden to our life. And I want you to think of what Peter is telling us in verse 3 the same way. God is giving you the resource of godliness. We aren't using it. We're not. He tells us, I've given this to you. You are not using it. Paul tells this young man who he's training up by the name of Timothy. He's going to lead a church in Ephesus, and he's training up Timothy, and he writes him several letters to him personally. He spent time with him, and he says this in the first letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in either way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. God, church, has given to Timothy, just like he has given to you and I, all the things needed that pertain to life and godliness. So why does Paul then have to tell Timothy that he needs to train himself for godliness? If God's given it to us, why do we have to now train ourselves for it? Because I'm telling you, there's this, this, this thought, this understanding of godliness that it's, that it's here within me. I'm just not utilizing it. Godliness, church, is the genuine desire to obey the teachings of Jesus. I believe every single one of you, as followers of Jesus, you have that genuine desire to obey the teachings of Jesus. But we allow the world to squelch that out. You have, think about this, you have one-third of the sovereign trinity living within you as a Christ follower. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. 
And Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm leaving, but don't worry. I'm going to give you a helper who is better than me. I mean, those are Jesus' words. I'm going to give you this helper, and he's better than me. And you've got to be thinking, the disciples are like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Like, I mean, you got Peter to walk on water. That's pretty incredible. Right? I mean, you, you, you raised Lazarus from the dead a couple of days ago. I mean, like, there's some really cool stuff. And you mean to tell me that you're going to give us this Holy Spirit thing that is better than you? Church, you've got that in you. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. You have all you need as it pertains to godliness. But just like me, just like me, you allow the world to crush that desire. Yeah. Yeah, we got the Spirit living within us. But are we feeding that spirit or are we feeding something else? And for most of us, based on the way we spend our time and based on the way we spend our money, and, and, and you look at our lives on a whole, and we keep this Holy Spirit, we keep it tampered down. Only when I need something. Look at the first sentence in this verse. 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Now, I don't recommend the message, okay? The message is a paraphrase. It's not a translation, all right? It, it's a paraphrase of translations. And I don't really recommend it, but, but I do appreciate how Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Church, the silly stories or, or the silly myths is what the world teaches to you and I to distract us. You know, things like, hey, it's okay to hold a grudge because someone is different than you. It's okay. Hey, they wronged you on the first hand. It's okay to hold a grudge against them. That, that, that's a silly teaching that the world says is okay that many Christians buy into. Hey, it's okay to look at these images on my phone because, well, I'm not really harming anybody. It's just me and those images. It's okay. It's okay to treat someone harshly because they were rude to you yesterday. You know, we don't get even around here. We get ahead. Right? I mean, I mean, come on. Eye for an eye, nothing. An eye for both eyes. Right? Those are the lies. Those are the silly truths that we, we tell ourselves. It's okay to yell at someone when you're merging onto the belt line and they stop in the acceleration line. It's okay. These are the lies that we tell ourselves, that we hear. It's okay to put yourself first because you know self-care is important. You've got to take care of yourself before you take care of others. These are the silly myths. And boy, we can keep going. 
It's it's okay. It's 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 okay to watch. It's okay to watch church from from your TV in your pajamas. It's okay. And I'm telling you, man, like there's a, there's a list of these things that we can just keep telling ourselves over and over and over again. The world is having influence on us, and we are crushing all that God has given to us to practice godliness. So Paul tells Timothy, avoid this at all costs and train for godliness. So I'm going to say two more things about this, and then we will be done. Hallelujah. So I'm going to be just a couple minutes. Not even a couple minutes. Just, you yeah. First, what, notice what he says here in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Notice the value of physical training and training for godliness. Paul tells Timothy, physical training is good. Right? I mean, we, we all know that. Everybody in here knows that, hey, physical training is good for us. It's, it's good for our bodies. It's good for our souls. Man, it just it creates energy. And nothing bad comes from physical training. But he says, but training for godliness is far better because it has value in every way. Or it has value now in this earth, on this life. Okay? It is, is value right now in the days that I have to live, and it has value in the next life, in eternal life with him. Think, I mean, just think about that for a second. Think about what Paul is telling to young Timothy here. Man, you practice and you train for godliness right now, it's going to benefit you. It's going to benefit you in the relationships as you're leading this church at Ephesus. It's going to benefit you in how you how you train up elders and how, how you disciple people. It's going to benefit you in every way. But man, it's also going to benefit you when you cross over that line into glory, into the presence of God. I mean, why, why is this not top priority? I mean, that's the question I ask myself. Well, how come godliness is, is not the goal every single day that I'm walking out the door? And I read where Americans spent like $8.2 billion on gym memberships last year. Physical training is a big, big deal. But it has nothing on the priority that it needs to have when it comes to training for godliness. And so Paul encourages you and I to go to the gym and train. But understand, training for godliness is better because of what it's going to give to us in the next life. So here's some things about training, right? Here's some things about training. Training takes intentionality. You know, if I just go to the gym and I join, and I just walk in and I'm like, okay, Man, they got these treadmill exercise thingamabobs I get on there. Man, they got these little hit zone thing over here where you can, you know, high intensity deal, you can do this. Or they got the free weights over here. Let's see. If I just walk in and, 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 and there's no plan, I'm just going to show up and just start doing something. I'm not going to see results. <coughs> I'm going to get in there and I'm going to kind of, okay, well, that's good, you know. 
hey, I, I burned 75 calories, and that's 75 more calories than what I would have burned yesterday, or not by coming. So, yeah, you know, I, hey, that's, that's good. Training takes intentionality. And so if I walk into a gym without any real plan, I'm not going to see results. And if I only go, if I only go to the gym four times a month, I'm not going to see results. Training by myself without, without any help, training by myself hinders progress. So Paul tells Timothy, train yourself for godliness. There's three things needed. Real quick, one, you need someone to train with who can assist you in the areas where you are weak or areas that they see in your life that you may not see. Man and I just joined the Crunch Fitness Place up here, and let me tell you, they're running this little deal right out of the gate. <clears throat> you know, if you're one of the first, you know, whatever, 500 people that join they're going to call you. They're going to, they're going to set you up with a trainer. And my, oh my, like this trainer must be getting paid on the number of people they meet with because this person has been persistent. I mean, calling me and calling me and calling me. And I know what you're thinking right now. Well, if you would just go and meet with them like you're supposed to, they wouldn't keep calling you. But the fact that they keep calling you means that you're not going up there. Spot on. Yes, you're absolutely right. Cast the judgment aside, quit it right now. All right? But you need someone. You need someone in your life, church, that, that can see the things that you don't see. I talked about this with our leadership team about the blind spots. You can do this little exercise called a Jahari window thing, and, 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 and you've got blind spots in your life right now that you don't even realize you need to work on. And so you need a person in your life that has the freedom to speak into your life and say, you know what? You may not realize that you're coming across as this, or you may not realize you treated this person this way, or you may not realize that your tone is this way. Right? I got a joke right now about that. I'm not going to say it. Guys, I'm not stopping. This is called discipleship. That's what it's called. You need a person in your life that has the freedom to speak into your life. Areas of weakness, blind spots. And so you need that. The second thing you need is you need intentionality. Hey, what's the plan? If I'm going to train for godliness, what's, what's the plan? I mean, is the plan just centered on I'm going to start going to church every Sunday? Is the plan centered on hey, I'm just going to try to absorb more and more knowledge? Is that the plan? What's the plan? You, you, you have to have a plan. And, and here's the thing. I believe that the plan needs to come from the conviction in your life as you seek the Lord's will. I had a group of ministers over my house the other day. We smoked some meat. Burned a brush pile. Talked about some things. And I shared with them a couple of things in my life. At which point, one of them told me I needed to pull my head out of my tail and get it screwed on straight. Because it was not, it was not God honoring. 
So I've got to have a plan, and I've got to have a person, and I've got to, this has come conviction, and when your friend tells you, I love you, but you're missing it, that weighs heavy on your heart. So now I know that I'm aware of this stuff. I know that there are places, there's, there's rough areas of my life where that they certainly don't reflect Jesus. It's a matter of conviction because there's been a huge spotlight put on me. So now I know. Now, now I know that, that this is a weakness. This is a thing that people see. This is an area of training for godliness in my life. Third thing is you need to train daily. That's it. You gotta realize something. Coming to church two point times a month is not what Paul's telling Timothy here. This has to be daily training. Jesus shaped his disciples' lives by spending time with them daily. Your seven minutes quiet time in the morning, that's good and all. You, you need that. You need, you need the nourishment. But the world is where we train. The relationships with, with the people at the drive-thru, the relationships with, with, with whoever, your coworkers, the people that share cubicles, whatever, that's where the training takes place. How we view and treat one another in the day-to-day -day moments of life is where we are to train. So that's training for godliness. And when you add to your faith in increasing measure, you are going to bear fruit. That's what Peter's telling us this morning. So you need a person. You need some intentionality with a plan. Okay? Not that this has to be some rigid, legalistic thing that I'm trying to, you know, cross these things out on my own, but it needs to come under conviction. And the third thing is you need to be training daily because the world out there is your training ground. When you do this, you add this to your faith in increasing measure, you will So we do it. Make every effort. Let's shift gears. Go into a time of response. <clears throat> Go and get your communion packets out. If you don't have one, Charlie will get it for you. Thanks, Charlie. Let me tell you, church, I'm I'm in awe of how God works. All right. I've been this time and time again. This has happened more than once. Like our soaps that we're doing, they were just random things that they were like, hey, I, I want our church to read these things. And so I just chose Jonah and I chose Philippians. I mean, there's some things coming up next year. Psalms. Uh, yeah, I want to, you want to study the life of David. So I want some Psalms. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, I didn't even have a calendar. I just. Hey, we're starting on this date, Sunday one, Sunday two, Sunday three, and I'm just plugging stuff in. Do, 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 do. But today's November 20th, our soap this week is Psalm 100, which is a psalm of Thanksgiving. Now, this doesn't give you permission to check out and not do it this week. You still need to do your soap. But I didn't plan it. Promise you. I just started looking at it, like, oh, how about that? As a matter of fact, I was at Ricky's house last Tuesday. Sitting on his couch. We were talking about the soaps, and I just happened to flip over. It's like, oh man, Psalm 100, that's, that's next week. How about that? 
So as we go into a time of communion, I do want there to be a just a spirit within us of gratitude, the spirit of thanksgiving. As we think about Jesus, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the sacrifice for our sin. Like, I mean, like my sin. And there's a lot of sin in my life. And he's like, I'm going to be the sacrifice that washes away all of that, Michael. All of that, because I love you, as we're going to see in just a second. And, and so for the next couple of minutes, I want us to approach him with a spirit of gratitude. I know we normally talk about the cross. and So I just want you to think about the sacrifice that he made for you. Let us meditate on that with thanksgiving in our hearts. I'm going to read Psalm 100. Just listen to these words. Shout with joy to the Lord on the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. So won't you take a few moments and just meditate on that last sentence. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. I want to pray over us. And I just want you to think about that. When you just take the communion at, at your leisure, Caleb's going to lead us in a song. And then after you take communion, join us in giving thanks to God and praising Him for who He is. His unfailing love continues forever. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to be the sacrifice. And so God, I, I pray that we can come into your presence with thanksgiving. God, I know this week's a week of getting together and, and with family and God, we're going to overstuff ourselves and watch some bad football on Thursday and probably argue some. People will be late. God, I pray that at least for a few moments right now, we can, with a spirit of gratitude in our hearts, appreciate your unfailing love for us. So as we remember the sacrifice, I pray that there is sincere thanks.